0: This morning's Torah, the reading this morning, can be found in your reading this morning can be found in your Chumashim on page two hundred and six, two hundred six, the beginning of chapter thirty four. The weekly wisdom this week, the weekly wisdom, the parsha will bring us through the reconciliation of Jacob with his twin brother Esau. Parshat Vayishlach begins in chapter 32 with that momentous encounter between Esau and Jacob, between Jacob who has been on the run for 20 years, who when he was sent away from his family had nothing and had a dream. And in that dream he saw angels ascending and descending on some kind of ladder or some kind of ramp, some kind of sacred structure. That Jacob who was afraid, who woke up and said, This place was a place of divine power and electricity, and I didn't know it. That Jacob who woke up and made a vow, that Jacob who said to God, if you will take me down to the place of danger and bring me back, I will make this place into an altar. That Jacob has become quite wealthy. He's become a successful man. That man who many were worried wouldn't be successful. He, wouldn't be, he, he didn't launch, but he launched. And he had a family, he had four wives or two plus two, had already 12 children to his name and that Jacob was ready to come home. And Jacob's entire story is about coming home, about the loss of his home, the loss of his father, the loss of his familial place and he wants to come home and so he reconciles or sends a group to his brother Esau and then has this incredible encounter with some mysterious Esher man. The Bible always pivots on these anonymous, mysterious individuals who change history. We could have a moment about that, but we're going to move through that because we're getting to what we're going to read this morning. And it's important to see this. So, so he sort of reconciles with his brother. Esau seems to be this incredibly loving, generous individual. Jacob still seems to be very much struggling with that. He prepares himself to be, you know, that Jacob is prepared that revenge will be um, extracted by Esau but nothing of the kind happens they kiss and Esau wants to hang out with him but Jacob says no I've had enough and they go on their ways and that's the way it ends but of course without mentioning that Jacob does receive a new name this whole encounter with his brother the brother whom he impersonated in order to receive a blessing it finishes when Jacob says his real name he's asked what is your name and he says here's my name and then he gets a new name when he says his name he gets a new name and then the Torah will pivot now into a very painful and difficult story. A story that we read every year if you read the full Parsha, but this year if you read the triennial, we begin the third, the middle third of the Parsha begins in chapter 34 with the story of Dina. The story of Dina is a very painful and powerful story. It's a story that in many ways is so apt for this moment, if you could imagine a moment more perfectly mirroring and reflecting the outward culture and what is going on in our world and what is happening in Torah, there could not be greater resonance in certain ways. The story of Dina, of course, begins with these verses on page 206, verse 1. Dina <speaking in> bat <Hebrew> And Dina the daughter of Leah who had been born who was was also the daughter of Jacob who had been born to Jacob went out to see the women of the area. She went out. And she was seen by a man named Shechem the son of Hamor who was a Chivite a local prince. And in, in these four verbs, It's three verbs. He took her, he lay with her, and raped her. And his soul clung, it clinged to her. It was attached to the soul of Dina, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved her. And spoke tenderly to her. And Shrem said to his father, Khamur, I want this girl, please give me this girl or take for me this girl as my wife. The shock of reading these verses is never lost every year, like the Akedah and other texts of terror in the Bible. It's impossible to read them without first naming what it feels like as a modern individual to read a text of terror, where the text runs completely against the grain of what our sensibilities are, what is ethical and moral, what is right. And just as we, at least I do, always begin a conversation about the binding of Isaac with the same expression of shock and dismay and begin there as well and it's doubly difficult because of course as a man to be standing here to read this text given everything that is going on so I want to begin and use just the words of women I'll be speaking them but nothing I saying this morning has, is from me at all it's from women who have written about this who have spoken to it who have written poetry and begin by acknowledging that there are two reads of this text that we have. One, the simple read that we read into it, which is that this is a case of violation. And that the text here, its terror is the terror of women as chattel, women and children as chattel, as objects. The violation, not only of the tribe of Jacob, but of Dinah herself the woman, Dina, who is silenced in the text, whose experience is not present in the text, who isn't asked what she wants in the text. We don't hear Dina's voice at all in the text. In that vein, of course, there is this poem from my colleague, Annie Lewis. Me too, Dina, me too. If only you could see us now, all the great men falling like the idols of your great-great-grandfather, Ego is slain like the men of Shrem. If only you could see us now, your sisters taught to make nice, take care, shouting, Me too, no more. All your sisters trained to harbor shame for going out, claiming space, craving more, because we asked for it so we deserved it. If only you could see us now, Dina. our truth rising up like song. Or this beautiful poem and I'll hold this for a second. second. So in that read this is the moment when Dina finds her voice through all of those who stand and say the thing that they were told not to say the truth that they were told not to speak in that voice we are critical of the rabbis of Yor who read in Dina's going out some version of as the rabbis in Breshid Rabbah say she went out and the text tells us she is the daughter of Leah who also went out women go out say the rabbis it says, my friend Rabbi Annie Lewis and all of those now who speak out, yes, women go out. Women are powerful. Women are strong. Women who are the harbinger of the leaving of Egypt when we yotze, when we went out because bizchut nashim Yes, of course we go out. Out is where we should go because we are bigger even than the Jacob who refused to go out as this poem from Ruth Fainlight <clears throat> I'm sorry, from Vanessa Oaks <clears throat> Dina tried to imagine having a story of her own to tell she went out because Dina was one of connection she had made that could widen her world she was the one who sought to widen her world her story would make her brothers lean forward with curiosity and jealousy their elbows on their knees their faces lit orange by the fire What if it were she and not her father who had encountered angels of God ascending and descending a ladder? She would have learned the name of each angel. She would have held on to their wings, climbed on their backs, and followed them homeward. And then she'd reciprocate, inviting them to her home if she could only meet people outside of her small world, hear their languages, eat their foods, shop for red ribbon in their bazaars, wear their clothes, style her hair as they did, she would make a friend who would reach for her hand Vanessa Oakes brings us to the second trage- tragic reading of the story that of course was made famous by Anita Diamond in the Red Tent and in that reading of the story, the agency of Dina, which of course is absent from the story is, thank you so much Evelyn love you <clears throat> Evelyn <clears throat> to give me a thank you so in that reading of the story that Anita Diamond gave us the tragedy of Dina is not that she was violated but that her love of Shechem was violated by a group of of violent and vigilante brothers who didn't see what she saw this text is a text of intermarriage in many ways of a curiosity that a love affair that happened across the party lines, right, on the other side of town, in the marginal places. But Dina went out and she fell in love. And the word bayeaneha means that she was shamed because she wasn't supposed to be interested in the Canaanite men. It was a it was a forbidden love, an illicit love, a love that was not sanctioned by the tribe. It wasn't seen. It wasn't valued. She had shamed the family, and in order for them, the men, to maintain faith, to save faith, they had to do something. It's in that light we hear Ruth Fainlight's poem. Holding up my hands in warning, I want to call out, No, no, don't do it, to Shrem and Dina, to Simon and Levi, but most of all to every able-bodied male of Hamor's tribe. Don't consent, it's a trap. Swollen, tender flesh, Shrem's that is aching with love and lust. Dina's broken maidenhead, Hamor's guards weakened by pain three days after circumcision, that was the moment chosen to destroy them spoil the city take their flocks and herds enslave their wives and little ones while Dina's brothers led her back to Jacob's tents ancient honor satisfied Jacob chided his sons fearful that the Canaanites and Prezites would now combine against him not until he lay dying did he curse them for that wild vengeance whether Dina was saddened by Shem's death is never mentioned No, 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 don't do it. I want to call out. Palms upward, heart pounding. Choose another future. But it's always too late or too soon. So much still must happen. The story has only started. Laura Geller, great rabbi from L.A. Rabbi Laura Geller wrote... A contemporary reflection on this story and in it, if you would go out and buy a women's commentary on the Torah it's an incredible work and it just she of course brings us to this place of of desire and consent and non-consent sexual trafficking and all the things that are happening today that this story represents and so this morning so go read that and if you want, I can also send it out to the community. It's an incredible read. It's a very inspiring Dvar Torah. But my job here in the next minute is to take what we just saw and ask you if you would stand here with Torah, or who would amongst you want to stand this morning at this reading. And so I would like to call for this morning's open up, this aliyah that's coming up that is open to anyone. The standing with this story on every level, and I can't imagine and I can imagine saying everyone should stand for this story. Stand for the voices of women that are still coming out, standing for the voices of victims who were taught not to go out on every single level, to be quiet, to, to keep a secret, to keep the status quo what it should be, the standing up of allies and those who are, who are creating safe and empowered, not just safe, but empowered spaces. Safe is like safe. Empowered spaces for those voices and that power to emerge because we will be stronger for it as a community, as a society, as a culture, and as a world when those secrets are no longer hidden away. And also, believe it or not, especially on this morning, where love comes in many different ways, where love comes crosses over boundaries and through tribal taboo where love has its own logic I had a friend who fell in love, he was a Kohen he was a priest in the tradition of the priest who fell in love with a woman that had been divorced and he came to me as a rabbi and he said Rabbi, I'm not allowed to marry as a Kohen the halacha mandates that I'm not allowed to marry a woman who was divorced I'm sorry if you don't know these laws but believe it or not they still exist and they're real he was already 40 years old when he fell in love with this woman and the loss of his priestly status and identity was weighed on him so heavily that he said no to love. I'd like to say that that story ends nicely. He's still single. 10 years later. And I said to myself, "Rebena Shalom God, honestly, love has its own logic." When we meet the one we love, we meet the one we love. And we need communities that can see that, can honor that, can lift that up, can raise that up. It's complex, I know, but not so complex. We have good answers to the good questions that are, that are raised. And so I'd like to invite the community to stand this morning for all of those intentions and for all of those stories. As we read these four verses of the tradition, as protest, as engagement, as reminder, and as aspiration.